I'm curious, do I got any movie buffs in the room? Any movie, where are my movie people at? All right, I need, I need some crowd feedback. Just, just for some help, what are some of the best movies out there ever in the history of mankind? What are some of your favorites? Top Gun, the original or the second one? The original. The second one wasn't bad, though. What else did I hear? What else did I hear? Finding Nemo? Oh, geez, that may or may not have been one of our staff members. We'll, we'll have a meeting this week. I, it, was, it wasn't bad. One more, one more just for fun. Red Bird? Oh, Braveheart. Yes, classic Braveheart. If you're a guy and you don't love Braveheart, we have prayer available at the front of the church afterwards. Now, you know, there's a lot of good movies out there. I actually, I, I don't mind a good James Bond movie. I don't know what that says about me, but I thought Daniel Craig was a pretty good Bond the last couple of years. I think he'll be missed. My wife around this time of year, she always likes to break out Elf and watch Elf around the holidays. It's just one of her like things. Elf got a woo. I love it. It's going to be a good Sunday. Uh, Lord of the Rings. Some people would argue that's the greatest movie trilogy of all time. I don't know. Debatable. Okay, I got some yeses. I don't know. Um, movies. Now, here's what I've learned about myself when it comes to movies. I need my movies to have a happy ending. That, that is something I need. It, it, it can be interesting in the beginning and go crazy in the middle, but as long as it resolves at the end, I'm good. If you make me watch some movie where the good guy dies and the bad guy wins, I can't do it. That is not a movie I can handle emotionally. All right? I fall apart. Now, here's why this is good for me, though. Most movies follow the plot line I prefer, right? You have kind of an engaging beginning to draw your interest, and then there's all the chaos in the middle, but then it all gets tied up in a nice, tidy bow right at the end. It's wonderful. And here's the thing. All you have to do is change the characters and the plot line a little bit, and you have a multi-billion dollar industry. That's all you have to do. Now, here's one thing I know, though. Life does not operate like a movie. Not even close. Um, there are years of our lives that don't, don't seem to follow any type of plot line at all. I know there's many of us in here, you have aspects to your story and you have scenes in it that you would have liked to have taken out. You would not have preferred to go through those different things. You don't always get the tidy bow at the end. That's not how life always works. Life doesn't go according to the script you want. Some stuff in life, let's be real, it's just straight up disappointing. It is not what we wanted. There's stuff in life that is downright devastating with some of the stuff you have to go through. And you know what I really hate about when the story kind of veers off the plot line? When you have people in your life saying things like this, oh, well, it'll all work out. You ever hear that before? Or everything happens for a reason. You know what I want to do when people say that? I say, well, you know what? You know what else is about to happen for a reason? Me slapping you in the face. That will work out too. That's not what I want to hear when I'm going through stuff. That's, that's not encouraging. And just in the last couple of weeks, we started a series that we're simply calling Be Encouraged. And this is the case we're making, everybody, if you're just joining us, that there are spiritual and emotional resources that the Christian faith provides that nothing else can in your life. There's nothing else that can do it. And if you can truly absorb and experience these things in your life, I promise you, it will fundamentally change the way you experience your own life, regardless of whatever things you go through. That's the premise of this series. Now, today is interesting. We're looking at a passage that I really believe makes some of the most dramatic, preposterous claims you have ever heard before in the entire Bible. God is making some guarantees here that 
completely change the way we should view our lives when they veer off the plot line. And actually, it flies in the face of how we often respond to the different experiences in our lives, particularly the hard ones. And so I want to dig through this passage, everybody, and see how this might actually fundamentally change the way you view your own life. So Paul's going to make a case here. In Romans 8.28, Paul's about to make this argument right here, that our bad things will turn out for good. Now look at this in Romans 8.28. Paul says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who've been called according to his purpose. Now, this is actually one of the most famous Bible verses in all of the scriptures. This is a coffee cup verse, everybody. This is a t-shirt verse. This goes on the bumper sticker. Now, here's the problem, though. With these famous Bible verses, so many times we wrap these up into little cliches. And we put all of our little assumptions into it, and we completely miss what Paul is even trying to say. Because you want to know how some people read this verse? I'm not saying you do this. I'm just saying this is what happens. Here's how we read it. Romans 8, 28, the Brian Bigger International Version. God will make everything in my life good according to my expectations and my personal definition of what is good. And you know, we wouldn't want to admit this either, but many of us, Whether you're a Christian or not, you believe in God in some way, you sometimes, in the back of your mind, have a little bit of a contractual relationship with God. Because this is how we think. Well, you know what? I'm doing my part. I'm working hard. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm nice to that Karen at my job. I'm so sorry if your name's Karen, all right? Illustration purposes only. But you're like, I'm in church. Like, I'm doing the things I'm supposed to do. And therefore, God... He now has a part to play. Like, he owes me. He's got to meet me here in the middle on what I'm hoping for. Now, I want to make sure we really understand what Paul's saying here. It's so important that we don't miss this. Paul talks about this idea of all things. You know what he means by all things? All things. All of the things. Like, the things completely. And what's interesting is Paul says, even if you are a Christian, you are not exempt from all of the things. All of them. Now, let's let's start on the happy side here. All things must include good things, right? The good stuff. Let's let's talk about the good stuff for a minute. A couple weeks ago, I gave my children their first ever Chuck E. Cheese's experience. Okay. This is life-changing for a child, everybody. This is the Shekinah glory of God, the closest thing to heaven. This is an ultimate experience for a child. So they get the Chuck E. Cheese's experience. And at one point in time, my son, Easton, he's five, he plays this Mario Kart game where you're racing and with the steering wheel and all that stuff. And he actually won a race. So he's getting all cocky. He's like, yeah, in your face, Bowser. Take that, Yoshi. I destroyed you. He's getting all cocky. Well, there's some important details to this story that you need to understand. My son was sitting in my lap. I was pressing the pedal down with my foot. I had both of my hands on the bottom of the steering wheel the entire time. Not only that, I was pressing the button launching all the shells and bananas at all the other characters. I won the race, all right? Now, here's the thing, though. We often don't realize God has his foot on the pedal of our lives. He's got his hand on the wheel. And Paul is saying, you need to understand, the good things in your life They're not just from random chance. It's not karma. You're not just lucky. No, Paul is saying that every good thing in your life, it's a gift of God. 
It's a blessing from him. He has you in his lap. And sometimes we just got to stop everybody. Sometimes we talk about all the bad stuff. There's some good stuff in life. Can we just acknowledge that there's some good stuff right now? Some of you guys, you got some good stuff going on right now in your life. It's worth acknowledging. Some of you guys right now, things are good for you. Maybe you're in a good relationship situation. Maybe you're getting along with your spouse. You got a hottie that's a good prospect. Maybe you're just super content being single right now. Like, you're good. Some of us, maybe your job situation is actually okay. You don't hate your coworkers that much. It's paying the bills. Like, it's good. It's working. There's a lot of us in this room. You have things that are going your way right now. Like, truly. You have some good stuff going on. And sometimes you just got to stop and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much for having your hands on the wheel of my life. Thank you for the blessings. Sometimes we just got to thank God. There's good things. Now, Paul said all the things though, right? All of them. So not just the good stuff, right? Bad stuff. There's some bad stuff too. Now here's why this one's hard. So many times we think, if I love God, that's going to guarantee better circumstances in my life. He has a contractual obligation to improve my life if I'm doing my part. And sometimes we think, well, God, you need to deliver on my expectations. You know, you need to follow through. And when he doesn't, we put him on a timeline. Okay, now you have one week, God, to fix it and tie this all up with a nice tidy bow. I've got a timeline that you need to meet. I wonder if most of our frustrations with God is us holding him to standards he never agreed to. Do you have any expectations for God today? Are you holding to a standard that maybe he hasn't promised? Do you have a timeline for God right now? You need something to happen based on when you need it to happen. Now, I do not want to be insensitive here, everybody. There's bad things in life. There's legit bad things. There's, there's situations we face in this room, I know, where you think, Brian, there is no possible way this could work out for good. Like, this has devastated my life. There's no coming back from this particular thing. I know there's many people in our church, you're going through stuff right now, the only thing you can call it is a bad thing. There's no trying to repackage it. There's no words or cliches that are going to make it better. It's just bad. This is the reality. Life brings all the things. The good and the bad. Here's the promise from Paul. It's not for good circumstances. That's not the promise. The promise isn't that if you love God, you get a free pass. The promise isn't even that God's going to tie your life up with a nice tidy bow according to your standards and expectations. So I'm sorry to disappoint anybody if that's how you've always read this. But what is the promise then? What is the actual promise we have here that Paul is saying? Well, the first thing we got to see is the promise is God is working. Now, I'm wondering, does anybody in here, do you have a spouse that causes the Amazon truck to show up almost every day to your house? Does anybody have one of those people? I see people looking around. The, we got hands in the air right now, okay? Hands in the air. All right. So I am married to one of those people as well. I saw a news article once that the founder of Amazon, Jeff Bezos, bought a $500 million yacht. And I didn't even hesitate. I'm like, of course he did. My family personally funded that entire purchase through all these orders we do through Amazon. It's ridiculous. Now, it is amazing to me, though. If I stop and press a few buttons on my phone, sometimes my order shows up that day. 
Has anybody had that experience? We live close to some warehouses here. It's like magic. It almost scares me a little bit. I'm like, that was almost too fast, all right? I feel like you, that was a little too quick. But here's what just blows my mind about the whole Amazon experience. Like, if you really step back, you think of all the things that have to happen between you pressing a button and getting to your doorstep. Think about how the moment you press the button, there are computers connecting all around the world, coordinating the shipment of the order, QR codes, and all the different things. There's robots pulling things off shelves in different buildings you've never been in before. They're placing things in trucks that are now going to schedule drivers so it gets on time, and all these different things. There's banks making secure transactions. It's actually unbelievable, and all that so you can get that beanie baby there on time or something on your doorstep. Now, if we struggle to even understand all the little details that go to getting a package on our doorstep, do you think we could ever fully comprehend the way God works in our lives? I don't even think there's any way we could ever fully appreciate or understand it. The promise is not that you always understand. The promise is that God is working. That he is active in your life every single moment. God is not disengaged. He's not uninterested in your life. He is not indifferent towards you. Paul is saying, God has a vested interest in every detail of your life. He's working. Here's the thing, though. God is working all things. All things. Now, just in the last week and a half, I had a birthday. Now, I'm not saying that to fish for anything, I promise, all right? I don't, I don't promote my birthday, but it's for illustrative purposes only because I have a problem in my life. This is my greatest vice. I need prayer for this. I have what you call a sweet tooth. This is not just any sweet tooth, everybody. This is a problem. At one point when Nicole and I were dating, she made me a giant sheet cake. Now, this was like Reese's and peanut butter and chocolate. She gives me this whole cake as I'm leaving. And I ate the entire cake on my drive home from her place when we were dating. By myself. Nobody helped me. That was like 6,000 calories of cake, everybody. I had no problem destroying that thing. This is a problem in my life. Now, here's the funny thing about cake, though. Cake is delicious. I'm preaching right now. I'm getting hungry, okay? It's, it's delicious. For all you clean eaters, no, no. You're missing out, all right? I might go, I might die sooner, but I'll just be in heaven eating cake sooner, so that's just what it is. Now, here's the thing about cake, though. I look at the ingredient list for cake. Every time I look at the ingredient list, list I'm like, ew, that's disgusting. Flour? Have you ever just put a pile of flour in your mouth? It's nasty. Actually, I don't even like butter that much. You just give me a stick of butter. I don't want to lick it. Like, it's disgusting. Like, I don't, I don't want plain butter. Salt? Nobody just eats salt on a spoon. If you do, that's weird. Has anybody tried just vanilla extract by itself? It feels like you're being poisoned. You're like, somebody's trying to kill me by feeding me this vanilla extract. Now, the one ingredient in a cake that even looks good is eggs. I don't want egg flavor in my cake, though. Like, it's just nasty. Like, if you look at the list of ingredients for a cake, it looks like a random assortment of disgusting things. And you know what life feels like? Exactly that sometimes. It feels like a random assortment of a variety of things that you don't want and that don't taste very good. But Paul says God's working in all the things. Every ingredient. Not only that, though, God is working all things for good. Now, again, this just blows my mind. Even though every individual ingredient of a cake is nasty to me, somehow you place them all in an oven for a couple minutes and it comes out a totally different thing. The glory of God comes out of that oven. And as you take bites, it is life-changing. It's totally transformed. And even for my birthday about a week and a half ago, Nicole made this cookie cake. And I made this intentional decision. I said, 
we're going to make this last for at least a week, this cake. And it was gone in two days. And I ate the entire thing, okay? So just pray for me. But here's the thing. This is what Paul's saying, just for these illustration purposes. God is a very good baker. And he is baking a cake with your life. He is taking every single ingredient, every experience, every season, and he is mixing it together to work every single thing out for good. And it's interesting. He doesn't even just say generic good. Paul says for your good. He's doing this for you. Now, he's not saying that everything that happens to you is good. He's not saying that everything that happens is going to be good tomorrow or next year, even in this lifetime, according to your expectations. But he's saying, no, God is baking a cake with your life, though. That is a guarantee you have from him. He's working every single thing out for an ultimate good purpose that he has for you and in this world. But actually, it doesn't stop there. Many people stop right there with that verse and think, okay, that's great. This is a continued line of thinking, everybody, because Paul's going to continue this argument. And now he's going to say, our good things will never be taken away. Look at verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So you see that word for at the top. So this is a connecting thought. It all works together. And we're getting introduced to some heady concepts here. Foreknew, predestined. These are weighty terms. And Paul's speaking to the fact that there are certain things that God does know ahead of time. There are things that he has set in place. There are guarantees he have made, he's made that cannot be taken away. Now, many people read this, and it turns into a theological debate. Okay, well, if God predestined things, then what am I in control of? How is there free will? How does this all fit? Paul didn't write this to start a theological debate, everybody. He actually wrote this to encourage you. This is meant to be an encouragement. A few months ago, I was getting ready to leave for work, and I'm getting in the garage, and I start getting in my car, and I notice there's a bunch of my stuff just thrown all over the other passenger seats. And I'm like, what? That's weird. I'm like, was Nicole looking for something? And so I get out of my car to ask her, and I look inside her car, and I notice the same thing had happened to her car. Both the glove boxes were opened up, and you have that dreadful realization in that moment, well, that wasn't, that wasn't Nicole. Somebody broke into our cars. You know, they took some stuff out of our cars. They took some stuff out of our garage. And if you've ever had a moment where you've had things stolen from you, you feel kind of violated, actually. Like, your life feels a little bit more insecure. You're like, people have been in my space where I didn't want them. Like, it just, something about it just feels totally gross. It feels off. Now, this is why we have cameras and locked doors and all the different things, passwords on our computers. But, But Paul is saying this. You can trust God with everything. But there are certain things that cannot be taken away from you. They can't be stolen. They can't be damaged. And they are the most valuable things you could ever possibly have. So what are these things that can't be taken away? What's Paul talking about? He says God has predestined you. He has guaranteed that you will be conformed to the image of his son. Now that word conformed is actually interesting. That's the word we get metamorphosis from. It means total transformation. A completely new thing. This is an image we see in the Bible often. And, I mean, you understand immediately. You see, like, pottery workers with those spinning wheels. They take this nasty blob of clay that they just throw on the table. And then they start spinning that table. And they start pushing their hands into it. They shape it. They pull some pieces out. And within a matter of time, you have a work of art. Now, here's what Paul's trying to get at. God is shaping the very soul of your being. 
He is conforming you to reflect the very perfect nature of Jesus himself. Now, here's where you need to focus in if you're checked out. This is what Paul is trying to say. Jesus did not suffer so you would not suffer. He suffered so that when you suffer, you will become like him. You need to understand. Every spin of the wheel of your life, God is pressing his hands in. He is shaping. He is molding. He is moving. Even the worst possible experiences are a conformity opportunity in your life. So this is the point I want you to understand. On the screens, God does not promise better life circumstances. He promises a better life. Okay, I know, I know, I know that's going over some people's heads. I want to make sure you understand exactly what we're saying here. Our minds can't handle this because we think, no, 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 Brian. My circumstances determine the quality of my life. That's how this works. That's how this human thing goes. And Paul says, no. Your conformity to Christ determines the quality of your life. That is what will ultimately determine the life you experience. We think, no, I need good experiences. I need good circumstances. And Paul says, no. You need total transformation. You need a life that is not molded by circumstances, but a life that is shaped by the very hands of God. And that is what he is promising you right here. Some of you, you already have been experiencing this in little ways. You see this in your Christian walk. You see that there's actually some more joy in your life than there was years ago. You see maybe some of that hope starting to stir up, even in the face of circumstances that normally would have devastated you. There's an inner strength that you didn't have at different points in your life. There's a perspective that keeps you grounded. All of these little traits that you're seeing form in your life, this is the conform process that God is working in you. To be made in his very image. You are being shaped Nothing can take this away. Nothing could ever happen in your life that will stop God from committing himself to this process in your life. You have a guarantee from him that you will be totally transformed by the hand of God himself. And he will not stop that work in your life. It can't be taken away. Now here's the thing though. The good things, they're great. The bad things are going to work out for good. There are even things that can't be taken away, but ultimately our best things are yet to come. finish out this section, look what Paul says in verse 30. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So we see a thought progression here of some weighty terms. We already talked about the predestined thing. There are certain things in your life that God is holding firm that will never be taken away. But Paul says, if that is the case, then God has also called you. He's calling you into relationship with himself. He wants you to know him deeply. You have been called by God into relationship with him. Not only that, though, he's like, if you've been called, you've been justified. Now, this is a legal term, but Paul is saying all of your guilt that you have for God has been completely taken away. Jesus took care of it on the cross. You have right standing with him. You have nothing to be ashamed of. You can stand before God with confidence knowing that he loves you. But here's what's crazy. He says, okay, all these things are true, but if they are, then you've also been glorified. Now, this might be a new term for some of us. This idea of glorification that we see in the Bible. This is actually the final step in God's redemptive plan. 
This is the total consummation of his work. This is the climax of everything that God has planned for human history. It's the removal of sin, suffering, and death. It's the complete renewal of our bodies and creation. It is the merging of heaven and earth. This is what God is working out. This glory thing is unbelievable. We can't even begin to imagine it fully. Paul even attempts to a few verses earlier. He says in Romans 8.18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. There's a man that is very important to me. His name is John Hookstra. Now, John's had a very interesting life. He came out of tragic circumstances as a young child. I can't even share all of that right now. He actually joined the Dutch resistance in World War II to fight the Nazis, even escaped Nazi imprisonment and interrogation. His wife tragically passed away from cancer at one point, leaving him as a single dad with two sons. And this motivated him then to take a massive leap of faith and come to America to try to start a new life. Totally broke with two sons. Well, he eventually scrounged some things up and was able to build a very successful company, met another woman who he had four other children with. One of those children ended up being my mom. John Hookstra is my grandfather, who I affectionately refer to as Opa. Now, my son Easton, his middle name is even John, named after this very man because of just the incredible legacy he's left behind. Unbelievable man of faith and courage and strength. It was uh, 1998 when my grandma actually left the house to run some errands, just a typical weekday in the middle of the day, and a man actually broke into my grandparents' house, and he came across my grandfather, and he took his life. stupid, senseless murder. He left my grandma a widow for the last 25 years. Left my family stuck in court for years after, trying to navigate all the drama. And there was no tidy bow at the end of this story, everybody. It's not like this man came to Christ that we know of. There was no reconciliation with the family. This man went to prison and rotted in a cell until he died just a few years ago. These types of experiences that I've had in my own life, and I know many of us have had in this room, are the ones that make me think, God, how could you possibly compensate for some of the things I've been through? There is no form of repayment for everything my family had to navigate in all those years. I can't possibly imagine how you would work any of that out for any type of good. There's a guy named C.S. Lewis. He uh, was the famous author of Chronicles of Narnia. Great, great man. He has this quote that is speaking to this idea Paul's trying to talk about in verse 18. He says this, they say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. Now understand what Lewis is saying here, and I think he's capturing the idea of Paul too. It's not simply that God is going to make up or compensate for the things we've been through. 
He's saying that this glory is going to be of such a different category that it will actually transform any of the sufferings we've had in this life into a glory itself where comparison will be totally unnecessary. That is what he's saying. So much so that Paul is saying, I consider, I can't even fully imagine this, but I'm just trying in some way to describe how this might work out because it's so unbelievable. And maybe you didn't catch this little detail. Paul doesn't say he will glorify. Paul says he has glorified. Now that's strange. How can Paul talk about something that hasn't happened yet in the past tense? Why would he say that? Well, Here's what I think he's getting at. Paul's saying, if God truly has predestined you, there's nothing that can be taken away from you that God has for you. Not only that, he has called you into relationship with himself. The living God wants to know you. Not only that, he has taken care of your sin through his own sacrificial death. If he has done all of those things, your glorification is certain. It is secure. It cannot be taken away from you. It is as good as done, everybody. Like it can be talked about like it already happened. You've been glorified. Now, we were talking about movies earlier in this message. I heard some cheers for the Lord of the Rings trilogy being the greatest ever. Um, this isn't in the movies, but in the books, there's a moment where Sam, one of the main characters, it's towards the end of this entire story. He's been on this crazy long epic journey of trying to defeat evil itself. And he gets to the point where he destroys the ring at Mount Doom. This is the climax of the whole story. The problem is he realizes this means certain death for him. It's over. His destroying the ring requires him to die. And so he resigns himself to this and he just lays himself down. He's like, okay, that's what it's going to be. Now this story takes a really interesting turn because Sam wakes up and he's shocked to find himself alive. And he's looking around. He's in this beautiful, comfortable room. And not only is he alive, there's Gandalf across the room alive too. He was supposed to be dead. And Sam is now processing all of this. Everything he thought about the plot line of his life now has taken a total shift. A total transformation has happened in his story. And he asks this profound question, trying to capture what just happened. And he asks Gandalf, is everything sad going to come untrue? Now think about that. He doesn't ask, are good things going to happen? No, he's asking, are the worst things in my life being remade into a glorious, happy ending? You know what the answer is? Yeah. And we're not just talking about a movie, everybody. We're talking about your life. Paul says, we know that God will work all things for the good. How could he be so confident? Why would he be so certain of this? Because he knew that Jesus already made the saddest thing untrue. That God himself entered into this world, took on human sin, the sin of humanity, experienced the most gruesome death. God himself died, everybody. It was the saddest moment you could possibly imagine. And yet, he didn't just make good things happen. He took the worst thing, not only made it untrue, but turned it into the most glorious moment we could possibly imagine, opening the doors to salvation, yours and mine. And now he's working all human history out for his good purposes, a happy ending, a tidy bow. So what this means, if you are in Jesus, no matter what has happened in your life, 
Whatever struggles, whatever hardships, whatever tragedies, you have a promise in Jesus, you will have a happy ending. It's a guarantee from God. The, the plot line of your life is going to be tied with a perfect bow. Better than any Hollywood writer could ever imagine. How much would this change your life if you really believed this? What kind of hope could you live with on a daily basis if you really knew this? Think of the courage you would have in the face of any situation. The confidence. The security you would have as you go about your life. Northern Hills, what should our response be to these things? This is beyond anything we could ever fully comprehend. The only proper response is we need to worship him. We need to praise him. There needs to be some gratitude in place. If you don't know Jesus, you need to give your life to him. Why would you not want to give your life to a God who's working this out in your life and wants this for you? But here's what I want more than anything for all of us. I want us to be encouraged. Because not only is God just working your life, he's going to tie it up with a perfect bow. You will have a happy ending. Do you receive this today? We're, uh, I actually, I finished a smidge early today. You're welcome. But that's because I want to do something a little different as we close out our uh, sermon today. I'm actually going to invite Solon out, our worship pastor. If you guys want to give him some love as he's walking out. You all know Solon. The reason I brought Solon out here is, you know, we see him every single week leading us in worship. He does an awesome job. Love having him here. But many people, most of us here, you have no idea of his story. And he's just a singing face. And we thought this was a great opportunity to hear a little bit more about Solon, but also just a lot of some of the experiences he's had fit really well with what we were talking about today. So Solon, just give us the quick Solon intro. For sure. Well, first, uh, thanks for having me up here. I, I love the opportunity to, one, just get to lead you guys in worship as well, but also just the opportunity to share a little bit about my story. And yeah, uh, just to answer your question, I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland with two older brothers and a little sister. In fact, my old, one of my older brothers is actually doing the sound right back there. He is the man. (laughs) Love him, boy to death. Um, And yeah, we grew up in Baltimore, Maryland. We were big, big sports fans. So I uh, sadly am a Pittsburgh Steelers fan and a Pittsburgh Penguins fan, which is, uh, it's okay. We're we're losing as well. It's a shame, but... (laughs) Um, but nonetheless, yeah, so I grew up playing baseball, ice hockey, and all that, and never in a million years thought that I would ever, one, work for ministry, but also, in addition, be a worship pastor of all things. God blew my mind and my life up in some crazy ways, and I'm grateful for it. Uh, but yeah, also, just a fun fact about me, too, I have a weird obsession with, like, the ocean and turtles and fish and everything like that. Like, I was totally the dude that screamed out Finding Nemo is the best movie ever. Like, that, <laughs> it's okay. I know. It is. You, yeah. No, ar- no argument, it is. <laughs> he's a total closet nerd, everybody. I total am. nerd. I we am. love him. I am. Lord of the Rings is arguably a close second to Finding Nemo, but it's good. <laughs> also, I am married to the most beautiful woman, Marissa, who's sitting right over there as well. So we both love going camping, hiking, backpacking, all of that kind of stuff. And what better place to do it than Colorado? So, yeah. So, you know, we were talking about all of the things in this message. Yeah. yeah. All of them. For sure. Where did you even see some of this start to play out in your own life? Absolutely. I mean, my life is full of ups and downs, as I think all of us can say as well. And I think first and foremost, I should just say, I think we all experience hardships. We all experience trials. We all experience pain and suffering, albeit it looks totally different for each of us here. 
each one of you guys can come up here and share part of your story, I'm sure. We all have a story to share, and I am absolutely no different. Um, but some of that, some of the all things, specifically some of the bad things that really started to take place in my life started in about third grade. Um, and sadly, my parents divorced. Um, and no divorce is ever pretty, right? It's always filled with heartache and heartbreak and all of that kind of stuff. But um, we, uh, they divorced in court case after court case. Um, sadly, they both ended up filing for bankruptcy and losing just about everything. Um, and that really spiraled our entire family into some really dark seasons, some really, really dark times in our lives. And, you know, for me as a young kid, didn't really fully understand all the stuff that was going on, although I can feel the tension, I could feel the pain, I can feel the resentment and anger building. Um, and I was diagnosed at a really young age with ADHD, so I was bouncing off the walls and, you know, never really was able to find a place that I could truly call home, so I was always acting up in class, um, was always in trouble constantly, and I was also never popular. I was always bullied a ton. I never really found a friend group and all that kind of stuff, but I, you know, all through elementary and middle school, I maybe had like two friends, um, and I love them dearly, even to this day. Um, but sadly, one of them in the eighth grade, so just jumping uh, forward a lot, one of them in eighth grade uh, sadly got expelled from school for bringing pot in because he was too afraid to keep it at his house, so he thought it was a good idea to keep it in school. Um, and I still hung out with him every weekend. Like I said, it's like my only friend. I love that man to death. Um, but he uh, one night brought over cocaine as a kid that never really listened to my parents or authority or anything like that this was no different and so in the eighth grade I started snorting coke and a year later uh, was pretty much from my perspective a full-fledged drug addict um, selling drugs um, all that kind of stuff and that really catapulted my whole life into just a really deep depression uh, suicidal thoughts constantly um, and it all built up to this moment where I decided that I was going to end it all. And um, took a whole bunch of blood thinners and not to get too graphic or anything like that, I was gonna end it all. And in this moment, it all peaked. And the only thing that stopped me from going through with it, I heard this voice. And it was as loud as any voice. I thought someone was in the room with me. And I said, stop, you have so much more to live for than this. And I had written a letter, I crumpled up the letter that night and, and had no idea what that experience was, but I went to bed and I guess you could say that that really kind of started my journey of discovering what that voice was. Now, the crazy thing about Solon's story that blows my mind is when we first connected about him possibly joining Northern Hills, I was like, who is this goody two-shoes from CCU that <laughs> wants to worry, like just a little, little yuppie kid. And I was like, that's just not going to work in Northern Hills. We like real. That's we like right. real stuff. And then he tells tell me you. a story, and I'm like, okay, that's real. Yeah. <laughs> I think you actually, I think you meet the qualification. Um, but it just shows, man, you can never just assume something about somebody based on yeah. just the face value, shallow stuff. Because I, I had you wrong from the first time, my first impression of you, just from your entire story. But so definitely you've experienced all of the things on some level. For sure. Yeah. I know we can't always say that we see the good in everything, but where have you even seen God working some of the good out through some of these dynamics of your story? Oh man, I mean, I think it's always hard when you have such a time crunch to tell you about all of the, the good things that have happened because there really has, and it's been up and downs, you know, it's, it's, this has been a very, very long journey. And like I kind of said before is I think 
it really started, the good things really started after that moment and, and that experience that I had. And that really uh, created a culture. I mean, first and foremost, the good thing that happened is that I'm still here. God saved my life in that moment. Like, thank you. I mean, truth, truthfully, I should not be here. I really shouldn't. And in addition to that, I mean, that was one experience that I had, but there was time and time and time again that God continuously got me out of situations and scenarios that I shouldn't have been in. I mean, I had drug deals that went south, then I was held at gunpoint at one point in my life. I mean, God miraculously got, out, got me out of situations time and time and time again. And I mean, I mentioned my, my parents' divorce earlier as well. I mean, that was another amazing thing that, that, that came was, was that during my middle school, elementary, and even high school years, I, there's so much bitterness, so much resentment toward my parents. I mean, it was hard for us to even just have a conversation without screaming in the room at some points. And now I look at my relationship with my parents, and I love my parents. I know that they would do anything for me. And uh, we have a great relationship. I mean, my mom was just out here a week ago visiting us. So it's just really cool to see what God has been able to rebuild in just that capacity. Um, but yeah, I mean, moving forward too, from the night that I, I attempted to commit suicide, I mean, it was from that that I found my passion for music. I didn't start playing guitar and singing really until about my sophomore year of high school. And then it was from that music that landed me in this weird circumstance of in a church of all places. And that really was just my dad waking me up at the early hours of 10 in the morning, telling me that I needed to go to church and me saying, no, thank you. Um, but he dragged me anyway. And I bumped into a friend of mine and he was at the church and he said, hey, why don't you come and join the high school worship team? And I'm like, girls, music, duh, I'm there. And so I joined right away. And Fast forward a year after doing that, I went to this big Christian conference, accepted Christ at that conference, and then from then was able to get a, you know, yeah, thank you, it's amazing. I mean, he really is gracious, I truly, so undeserving. But yeah, so it was at that Christian conference, accepted Christ. I, a year later, packed my bags and got a college education and moved to Colorado. I got married to like the most beautiful woman ever. Um, she's by far my better okay, half. You're I can trying tell to get you that right there. Get it. Yeah, you got your worry, yeah. Okay, she's... But so to say, I mean, yeah, and, and got married and now, and now I'm a worship pastor at Northern Hills. I mean, to say that God took the bad and made it good is a complete understatement. I mean, truthfully, I wouldn't be the person that I am today had I not gone through all of those trials and all of that pain and all that suffering. And I wouldn't change it for a minute. I mean, truth be told, had I not gone through the pain, had I not gone through the suffering, had I not gone through all of those trials, I wouldn't have been receptive to what God wanted to do in my life but he took me through all of that journey to lead me here. I don't want to change a thing. Amen. Amen. That's a good spot to praise. Um, obviously, we're all at different places in our stories and yeah. journeys. What would even just be one last little encouragement you would give to somebody who maybe hasn't seen some things come full circle yet totally. is still believing that God might work in some of their situations? Yeah, absolutely. I think whenever we're in seasons of life that are, that are, that are, that are hard, Right? And, and sometimes hard is just an understatement to the reality of, of some of the situations that we find ourselves in. I think whenever we're in those seasons, it's so hard to see the bigger picture that's unfolding. We're so hyper-focused on that tiny little piece of our puzzle that we don't really realize that God's orchestrating and working something absolutely beautiful. Because real talk, we're in survival mode. Sometimes, Some days it's just hard to get out of bed. And I get that. And so for me, the thing that I think God taught me the most about himself even was just how close he truly is. 
how intimate he really is. I mean, when I was going through and I was in the thick of everything, I, I couldn't say that God cared about me. I mean, he's out saving the world, right? He's doing so many things. How can he care about some 15-year-old kid who's smoking pot and playing video games all day? I mean, it was worse than that. But, I mean, really, I didn't think that God cared about me, truly. And just over time, moment after moment, year after year, God just kept revealing himself to me in ways that I couldn't even comprehend. He's so close. He's so intimate. He's so aware of every single situation that you're in. And I always felt like I was alone. I never really felt like I had a home. I never really felt like I belonged. But he was always there. And it took me years to really figure out just how intimate he was, how close he was in all of those situations. I mean, in addition to that, I mean, going on that journey of sobriety and going on trying not to, you know, I go three, four months and then I would relapse again and then six months, relapse again. And constantly God was gracious to me in those moments. He was merciful to me. He wasn't giving up on me. And he always reminded me of the confidence and the power that lives inside of us. Guys, we have, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit inside you. That is a resurrection power that lives in you at all times. And it took me years to truly figure that out. So, yeah, man. That's a great word. Well, I tell you, so we, we just love having you here, man. And I have a blast love being working here. with this guy. We're office neighbors, and we can't get any work done when we start talking because we're two middle school I'm still girls. still beating you on steps. Too. Yeah, we have a step challenge going on right no. now. Um, well, Solon, we appreciate you. We love you, man. And actually, Solon is going to set up a song as we get ready to close here that he thought would just fit so well with this entire conversation. I want you guys to know Solon's experience is not an isolated experience. This is what God is doing in every single life of his kids. He is working in every single thing. And even if you don't see the other side yet, you have a promise that God is right in the middle of it. I love what someone said. God is close. He is right there in there with you. And so wherever you're at on that journey, we have a reason to sing and to praise God because we have a promise that cannot be taken away and the best things are still to come. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. If you would like to learn more about Northern Hills, you can go to nhills.org. You can also follow us online on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram for more updates and events. We look forward to seeing you next week.